November 2nd, 2020, you are listening to the Inquisitive Bro Podcast. On today's episode, the NBA offseason is upon us, and some big names could and should be on the move. We're going to talk about that. Also, the NBA draft is fast approaching, and LaMelo Ball is projected to go number one, which means LaVar Ball is back in the news, so we're going to play a little blast from the past game and recap all the madness that is the Ball family. And to finish off, Chris is going to give you his take on what was a pretty thrilling Game 6 of the MLB World Series. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the offseason, but we still have lots to discuss. As always, I'm Andrew, he's Chris, let's go. So we're back with the NBA talk. Uh, the Lakers won the championship about three weeks ago, Andrew, and we're already back talking about the NBA. It, it truly never sleeps. Yeah, the NBA doesn't like you talking about anything else but the NBA, so they try and cover every single month of the year. Yeah, but it's also because, I mean, the teams that have been so non-competitive the past little bit, there's teams that haven't been playing since March. Now it's time for them to get the rumor mill going, you know, like maybe get a little uh, buzz for the fans who can't go in their arenas, but... <laughs> That's true. So, like, if you weren't playing since March, it's because you're trash and didn't get invited to the bubble. Yeah, and this is the time when they can try to not be trash. Be less trash. Yeah, exactly. Like, that... Be like recycling. <laughs> That'd be like a great slogan for like the Knicks 2021. Don't be trash. Be recycling. Yeah. That's not <laughs> Go bad. green. Maybe they'll hear this and pick it up. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. Lots lots of stuff always going on in the NBA. So the NBA offseason has not quite started yet, correct? Well, yeah, that's true. We have to wait for the draft to start on November 18th, as it's currently scheduled. And right then there, the, the trade freeze is over. You do the draft. I'm sure lots of trades will start happening, and then free agency hits uh, soon after. I'm not sure the exact date of free agency, but it's not too far after that. Yeah, so the draft is on November 18th, so yeah. a couple weeks from now, and we should be good to go. Yeah, exactly, and expect a lot of moves uh, to happen. Um teams have been just waiting like they've had nothing to do for the past little bit they've been talking obviously and i'm almost certain the second the trade freeze stops there's gonna be some trades that are like rolling in i'm sure things have already been agreed to technically um do you know what the last trade in the nba was i don't know it was andre drummond to the cavaliers that was the last trade that happened in the nba it happened on february 6th wow that was a long time ago yeah Longest time in NBA history for there not to be a trade. And it was completely meaningless. Yes. Um, Andre Drummond, good player. Cavs, terrible franchise. Terrible franchise. We got some stuff on the Cavs later, or at least I do. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's start with your news segment. Yeah, man. Back uh, by popular demand. Yeah, news. Always a great segment. Let's go into this. The Brooklyn Nets have now expanded their coaching staff to basically be the 2009 Phoenix Suns. You can also say 07 Suns. Yeah, there was, a, there was a span there. Seven seconds or less, sons, but yeah. Yeah, basically. So the head coach, as we know, Steve Nash, uh, since we last spoke, they have now added Amari Stoudemire to the bench, as well as former Suns coach and former Houston coach, Mike D'Antoni. Um, yeah, Steve is just basically trying to bring back the glory days. I think so. Um, I think what he's trying to do is when he plays pickup against Kyrie and uh, KD to have like a pretty good squad on his end. I think so. Uh, I'm guessing Nash and Amari will just have their son's uniforms under their regular suits all the time. And then when they need to, they can just pop it off like a tearaway. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, this makes a lot of sense to me in, well, two respects. One, for Steve Nash, I listened to a podcast where uh, he was talking about taking the Brooklyn Nets job, and uh, one of the things he was saying is that uh, he's going to be looking for someone with experience because he's a rookie head coach and he has no experience actually 
coaching, even though I'm sure his basketball mind is really good. See, I get that. But if you're the Nets, why not just hire D'Antoni? Well, I mean, they they made a commitment to Steve before D'Antoni was available, right? Um, D'Antoni was still uh, the coach of the Houston Rockets. Right. Now, the reason why... I but hold up. Everybody knew D'Antoni was on his way out. Even when they hired Nash, they knew hey, that if they was going to the, Well, if they won the championship... Um, but clearly they didn't have D'Antoni in their, uh, in their sights as their head coach. They didn't want that. Now it's a completely different when you're a, an assistant coach, different, uh, roles and responsibilities. And I think this kind of fell into their lap or Steve's lap. I don't think that he planned on having Mike D'Antoni as his assistant coach. I think what kind of happened was after Mike left Houston, he observed kind of the, the NBA landscape, looked for head coaching jobs, the, the, the ones he wanted. Uh, didn't materialize, and I guess instead of taking a year off, he's like, you know what, Like, why don't I uh, uh, go join Steve and be an assistant coach? He must love coaching and must love the NBA, or else... And he must what? also love Steve Nash. Yeah, all I'm sure things. he does. Who doesn't love Steve Nash? I've never heard of one bad thing about Steve Nash. Shaq doesn't like Steve Nash. Why not? Because he thinks he stole his MVP. Oh, okay. Well, that he doesn't he doesn't like him in a competitive way. I don't think he'd like actually like as a dislike. person. Yeah. Yeah, Steve Nash seems like a good dude. Yeah, exactly. I don't get the Amari one. I mean, I guess yeah, they're still I don't know good what friends. Yeah, but... to the table either. I mean, killer player. Well, I, I guess actually, now that I say that, every team every team seems to have like the big man coach. He's the assistant coach, but he was also a big man. Like the Raptors have Jamal McGlure. Uh, and... Orlando had Patrick Ewing for a while. Yeah, everyone has to have the guy who is like the big man. Which is odd because the Nets have no big man. Jared Allen and... Uh, but Jared Allen is not someone who's going to develop the skill set that Amari Stoudemire can bring to the table. I can yam it down. He's not He's Maybe. not Amari, but... No, he's uh, definitely not. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean... Is we'll what, see. Yeah. I'm sure he's fine. I'm pretty sure soon you'll hear Sean Marion has signed as an assistant <laughs> Andrew coach. Andrew Barbosa's coming back from Brazil. Raja Bell. Who's Raj- on that team? Well, actually, Raja Bell was... I, he said... Raja Bell said this on a podcast I was listening to. Raja Bell was approached by Steve Nash... Uh, early on when they oh were negotiating. Goodness. Well, this is, now this is just getting ridiculous. Well, maybe maybe Raja was like his first option, and then he just moved down the 2007 um, roster of the Phoenix Suns. Is Boris Diaz still in the league? Maybe he can retire no, and come Boris, Boris, you know what Boris is doing, right? No, that's what I asked. Well, Boris is one of the was always one of the more unique characters in the NBA. Um, he's just sailing around the world. He has like he's a avid sailor. I are you serious? Yeah, he's a very avid sailor. And I actually listened to another podcast about this where he was um, talking about his retirement plans. Was he calling in from like a sailboat in the no, middle of the No, 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 no. This was like just before his uh, final season, I think, with the Spurs. Like he's doing um, like a solo around the world mission in a sailboat? It's not around the world. He's just sailing from place to place, like in nice little areas um, and enjoying life. Sure. I mean, he's he never got in shape his entire career. He enjoy, He enjoys life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know what he looks like out of shape. Now, this is like a new level of out of shape. Is he bigger? Maybe he's lost weight. I don't know. Unlikely. Um, other news. So the Sixers extended Elton Brand as general manager, uh, five-year extension. They also signed former Houston Rockets GM Daryl Morey as president of basketball operations. Now, Christopher, please explain to me the difference between general manager and president of basketball operations. So... President is the new term that is given to the top man in NBA teams. It used to be that it was the GM who made the the decisions, but now they move that to president, and basically they see overarching stuff and make big decisions. Whereas the GM is now more of like what used to be an assistant GM, and they do minutia stuff, 
like waiver wire claims and filling in things. And like they're much more the day-to-day stuff. That's what the Raptors do with um, Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. Bobby Webster does a lot of the like, um, well, like I said, like day-to-day minute things, recruiting guys. Like Masai is there for the big pitches, the big moves, the trophy presentations. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, I, was, uh, I wasn't really sure. Like I knew the Raptors had those two positions filled and I, I kind of understood who the guys were, but I wasn't really sure who was making which calls, but... I guess that makes sense. But it's an interesting thing with Philly in the sense that, like, no way is Elton Brand having any decision-making influence or power in that organization with Daryl Morey going forward. Elton Brand sucks as a GM. He was awful. Yeah. I think with a couple more years at the helm would have just ruined that thing, torn it to the ground. I mean, I'm kind of surprised Um, they extended him. They apparently like him, and I guess they just haven't changed his role yet, but this is more of like an organizational thing. Daryl Morey's the guy who's making the basketball decisions now. I would assume so. And the 76ers are much better for it. Well, we'll see. They may not win a championship, but I think the decision-making process and the way that they make moves, like type of the margin moves that Daryl Morey's very good at, um, will be better. And I think it just like you have more legitimacy with that front office. I think there's, you can just, you trust it more. True or false, do you see Joel Embiid being part of a Daryl Morey-run 76ers team? Yes. Yeah? That wasn't really a true or false question. That was more a yes or no. <laughs> true or false, give me your opinion on this. Yeah. Um, yes or no, yes, I see uh, Joel Embiid, at least for one year, being on the Daryl Morey 76ers. I mean, one, those are big trades. Like Huge. Either Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons. Um, I doubt very much that Daryl Morey would accept the job not wanting to like try it out a little bit. Daryl Morey has always been one thing, and it's not um, small ball. That that's what he did with Harden, and he's always been like one of the um, biggest uh, prognosticators of analytics. But one thing he's always cared about, and this is like through and through since he started with Houston with Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming, and that was he wanted two stars. He always wanted stars. He has two stars here. They don't fit together very well, but he has the star power. That's what he always cared about. I mean, remember back when. Um, before they went full small ball with Harden, he got Harden, then he got Dwight Howard because he wanted star power. But you could move Embiid for another star. Oh, yes, you can. But, yeah. I mean, that's also a long negotiation, too. He's just gone on the job. I mean, maybe he can call up his buddies in Houston and be like, hey, how would I bring Harden with me to, to uh, Philly? And, Listen, uh, man, I've seen it. I've seen those names being thrown around. For a variety of reasons. Like, I don't think that deal happens this year it could happen in the future it kind of makes basketball sense but i don't think those types of deals happen if you're daryl Morey, though every day that goes by where Joel and beat is playing basketball you risk him going down with another injury and being untradeable apparently you also risk with um ben simmons going down with another injury mr back injury there yeah i mean but listen if you can move them both they're not going to but like i don't like either of those guys this is something that has crossed my mind when you always talk about like which one are they going to move they're both such kind of unique players what if you move both just make a team like a more conventional team move both one for one star trades like you I mean, probably you, yeah, have a better you could do team star trades or you could just like get a ton of depth you could get yeah. a lot of quality players coming back from well that's guys. one thing well daryl Morey never does that he never trades uh he never trades a dollar for quarters right. he's always the one trading the quarters i don't know if they're dollars man like these are not a type stars their their trade potential is completely based off their perceived future performances and future value because when you really look at it Joel Embiid had a really good year two years ago. Last year, he was quite poor. I mean, poor for his standards, I should say. Um, And then when you really look at it, it's like, okay, he's been injured a lot. He's had one good year. 
a lot of other flashes during the year where he hasn't put it together. You question his mental aspect. He's never gotten in shape. He's kind of a crybaby, kind of a pouty, uh, moody guy, and also very much loves that limelight. I think to his detriment. Um, yeah. He's soft though. Mentally, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, enough about the Sixers. He's, he's no Kobe. But. Uh, no, definitely no Kobe, man. <laughs> definitely no Kobe. I got one more piece of news, and we're going to get out of here. So regarding the start of the NBA season, we've basically narrowed it down to two days. So the league, the owners, and the broadcast partners, i.e. the networks, are pushing for a 72-game regular season starting on December 22nd. The yeah. Players Union is pushing for a Martin Luther King Day start, which January 18th gives them a little bit more of an off season. Yeah, I've heard that the... But that would be a 50-game season. I've heard that the um, the players' union saying for the uh, MLK Day is kind of like a negotiating tactic. In, um, they have a deadline, uh, November seventeenth, to come with uh, kind of like a quasi collective bargaining agreement for the season. Um, technically, if they don't come to that deal on November seventeenth, then the draft on November eighteenth isn't happening, and a lot of things are in flux. But they'll come to a deal. Uh, the reason why. That MLK Day thing is just not going to happen. It's going to be December 22. The big power brokers want that. But one of the reasons it's going to happen because the players are also ultimately going to want that. It affects their money. Oh, yeah. Um, If you play 50 games and not only are you having less of a game, um, fewer game checks, uh, the money that is allocated to you based on the collective bargaining agreement because of like the, the TV deal is going to be a lot lower. So... Um, I heard this actually, um, recently, like Steph Curry projected to make $40 million next year on a full season. If they did the MLK day thing, he would only make 25 only air quotes, but that's that's a big difference percentage terms. Yeah. That, that, I mean, if I was making, if I was making $40 million, I wouldn't want to suddenly be making $25 million. Right. No. And let's be honest, like Steph Curry specifically hasn't played basketball in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> so the two main reasons, though, like some some might be asking, well, why can't we just start on MLK Day and have seventy two games? Two reasons: one, the NBA ideally would like to return to their normal oh, yeah. start date in October, and two, if they so choose to participate, uh, the players would like to be able to have the choice to participate in the twenty twenty one Summer Olympic Games, yes. which would be in the summer. That's so true. If, yeah. So with the fifty game regular season, you still end sort of end of June. Yeah. Um. There's a couple other things to that. One, they realized that they're, I mean, everyone's ratings were down except for football. Um, Nothing can stop football. No, no. And that's what the NBA is kind of learning. I mean, one of the things that they had to do when they were in the bubble was also a little test run because, like, they've been gaining momentum with football. If you, like, read, like, oh, like, the young kids love basketball, football, you know, it's violent, maybe it'll go down, blah, blah, blah. Point is, this is their first real test to see whether they could compete with football, and they learned they can't. Yeah, I mean, in the NBA's defense, I'm not sure if, like, a bubble product was really a fair estimate of No, their... that's true. Um, and there's other there's other uh, issues involved. But listen, I mean, like, NFL owns a day of the week. I do not yes. doubt that they're not going to be able to compete. Football I mean, is king. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the NBA learned that, and also, I mean, the summer, people are less likely to watch sports to begin with. That's I'm rooting thing. for December 22nd because I want more games. Yeah, I want more games. I want it to come quicker. I mean, I've been speaking to my dad recently. Like, there's nothing to watch. <laughs> there's yeah, nothing right on now right tough. now. I mean, normally this is prime time. Yeah. Yeah. Normally the NHL's just started. The NBA is just starting up. Uh, football's got well, half the season still done. Yeah. yeah. It's still half the season done. Yeah. But yeah, um, exactly. So I think it's going to be December 22. I think that's just what they're going to go with. And they're just going to hammer through the season. And whatever happens, happens. 
if that's the case, there's though, gonna be a lot of collateral damage, I assume. But like, it's oh like, yeah, I think a lot of the guys that went deep into the bubble playoff run, you're gonna see a lot of DNP fatigue games for the first couple months. LeBron's not even gonna play. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure the league will not let LeBron sit a month yeah, of basketball. However. Expect him not to play a lot of games. Kawhi won't, though. Kawhi will sit. Kawhi many doesn't games, play but games anyway. But that's just part of his. But that's yeah. just like part of his mo now. Fifty games, seventy-two games, one hundred seventy-two games. It doesn't matter. Kawhi's only going to play like twenty. That's a pretty good gig that he actually like managed to swindle. A eh? full where salary you, with half the games. Yeah, not yeah, bad. Yeah, where you just convince people. It's like ah, I can't can't play. Yeah, that's just part of my. Imagine telling your deal. boss like ah, can't work. Can only yeah. work three days out of seven. You know. And he goes, no problem. Here's a billion dollars. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's all I got for the news. <laughs> Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the pod so far. You know, here at the Inquisitive Bro, we're always thinking about ways to enhance your listening experience. And that's why I'm very excited to tell you about a new podcast add-on we're doing called Podnotes. Now you may be wondering, well, what are Podnotes and where can I find them? Well, basically, during the podcast, you may hear us from time to time make references to videos, images, charts, or graphs that we can't visually share with you because, well, you're listening to us. This is where Podnotes come in. All the visual references that we make during the podcasts are going to be bundled into a single Instagram post that you can find on our Instagram page, at The Inquisitive Bro. So look out for this pod's pod notes and the pod notes for future pods to come. Now, back to the pod. Okay, switching gears a little bit now to NBA Free Agency, which I've now checked is scheduled to start tentatively around November 20 to November 22 range. Now... As many NBA fans would know, this is not a good year to be a free agent, uh, one, because of COVID, but two, because almost all the teams are saving their cap space for next offseason, which is the summer of Giannis, plus a bunch of other good free agents. So as we currently stand, the teams with cap space this offseason are the Knicks, Hawks, Pistons, Kings, Pelicans, and Suns. All bad teams. Now, this is like large amounts of cap space. There's other teams with small amounts of cap space, but we don't really have to get into them. Andrew. As of now, the top free agent in this year's class is the Raptors' very own Fred Van Vliet. So I put it towards you. Where do you see Fred going? Yeah, okay. So as you said, the big thing for teams this year is making sure they have enough cap space next offseason to sign those big free agents, most notably Giannis. So when it comes to Fred on the Raptors, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I heard is that we cannot sign him for more than $18 million a year for multiple years if we still want to have a shot at Giannis come 2021. Uh, I am going to correct you, uh, only in the sense that the Raptors' real kind of max that they don't want to give Fred is about $22 million. That's like the max they can really go. That would then involve you getting rid of guys like Norm eventually. You wouldn't be able to re-sign OG Ananobi to any sort of extension until after taking advantage of the salary cap rules on cap holds. Uh, but the point is... Yes, the Raptors are very much looking to try to sign uh, Giannis. So the negotiation they're going to be doing with Fred is trying to thread the needle in the sense like we want to compensate you for what you've done and what we believe you're going to do. But at the same time, we have to maintain our flexibility. So it'll be an interesting type of negotiation. It's interesting to see what he might sign for, especially considering that the teams that have significant cast base, namely Knicks, uh, Suns and also um, Hawks, the uh, Pistons, not the Pistons. Hawks. They have Trey Young. Right. I mean, I guess they. Oh, uh, he's go. off ball though. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they can do it. But point is, the teams that have uh, significant cap space this off season, uh, granted they are bad, but they they could use a guy like Fred VanVleet, and I'm sure they'll uh, they'll go after him hard. Okay, but if you're Fred, your options are go to the Knicks for like 26 million a year, 
or stay with the Raps and have a chance to play with Giannis and contend for a championship two years? Well, I wouldn't assume the Giannis part, but I mean, he's a big fan of Pascal. They've been they've been together for a long time since the G League. Yeah, but man, um, or you're going to the Knicks and you're going to be a yeah. bottom feeder forever. Yeah, or the Pistons. But no, that's the thing. Like, I think anyone can agree that Fred is the type of guy who's not only looking out for his financial interest, but also he's a competitor. He's a gamer. He wants to win, at least everything I've come to kind of understand about him. Uh, so I assume that the Raptors are going to work something out with Fred. I think it's going to be something that maintains our flexibility because that's first and foremost for us. If they um, sign him to some really big outlandish contract, like mid to high 20s, I will be shocked. It's not happening. First of all, I think his max is like 25. But if he gets an offer for like $24 million, you just kind of like shake his hands like, thanks for the good times, Fred. And like, wish you luck. Yeah. Um, and you move on from there. Go move on to like Goran Dragic. Right. Uh, you can replace Fred as much as I do like him. So, uh, again, finishing up on the Raptors, another free agent who was paid a lot of money last year and who's not going to get paid nearly as much money this year, Serge Ibaka. Do they bring him back? Serge is another guy who's going to have a lot of suitors because of his ability to space the floor. And he's a guy who can, who's shown he can be a starter come off the bench, and he has that veteran presence. So that is something that will be highly sought after. All that to say is I think the, what makes the most sense is for Serge to come back to the Raptors on a one-year deal, high salary, like higher than what he would normally get in the open market because we can go into the luxury tax. We can sign him with our bird rights. I would say something like $26 million for one year is right around where Serge would probably take it, assuming no other team kind of uh, overwhelms him with an offer. So... Another big free agent who you may have mentioned in the intro to this segment is Montrose Harrell, uh, coming off his Sixth Man of the Year award, whose name has been floated around as being a landing spot for the Raps. If they don't sign Serge, they could potentially bring in Montrose. Who would you rather see on the Raptors' opening day lineup? Serge or Montrose? Serge. 100%. Yeah? yeah. Really? Yeah. Serge for one year or Montrose for a few? I would, I would much rather... Uh have Serge for one year than Montrez for a few years. One, because, again, you're trying to maintain flexibility. Montrez is going to want a lot of money. He's going to eat into that cap space that you need for Giannis or a Max Free Agent, what have you. Like, I don't think Montrez is actually a real fit for the Raptors in terms of their future plans, as much as basketball-wise he would be. Also, he's kind of a DH. He's actually very, very poor uh, on defense, um, I think that hurts our scheme. Not like Serge was an awesome defender either. That's true, but I think Serge is a better defender than Montrez. Do you think Clippers bring him back? Ah, man. That's, it's so, the think... Clippers are such a mess. It's so hard to keep track of like who hates who. Like I don't know if he's on the good terms people or the people who hate each other side of the group. I think the Clippers do end up bringing him back just for lack of a better option because then you at least keep the asset. He's well-liked, and he does do some things really well. Um, I mean, he had a really bad playoffs, but there were so many extenuating Everybody circumstances. Everybody on the Clippers had a bad playoffs. Yeah, but for Montrez specifically, there's so many extenuating circumstances for him getting COVID, having, I believe, his grandmother died. Um, he had a lot of stuff. Like came not, in very cold. Yeah, if it's not the Raptors, but a couple other on Montrez, spots. On Montrez, look out for the Pistons as being a team that I think will offer a big contract to him. It's weird because I looked up other landing spots and Pistons were not at the top of the list. I saw Suns running back with Booker and Aiden. Uh, high pick and wool with Ricky Rubio. Also the Pelicans, Derek Favors is probably gone. He's a UFA. So they could just put Montrez in that spot. Run it with the youngins. Um, yeah, yeah, that could work too. Um, I just think the Pistons would make a lot of sense for him as well. There's a few teams that will like have offers for him. Really quick, I want to go back just quickly on Fred Van Vliet. This has been talked about, and I 
and I agree with people who have this take, and I'm just going to say right now, I think the most likely a precedent for Fred Van Vliet is the Malcolm Brogdon contract, which was four years, $85 million, or $21.5 million average salary. I think that makes a lot of sense for him, and maybe you can argue it a little down, saying like maybe with a COVID year, the cap is not going up incrementally like you expected with the Brogdon contract, and also maybe give us a little bit of a discount since we won a championship with us and everything, and we have big plans. I'm Enough sure with, Masai will give him a good pitch. Enough with Fred Van Vliet. Let's go to the guy who I think is actually going to be the most sought-after free agent this offseason, even though he's not technically the top free agent on a lot of boards, and that's Daniil Gallinari. Yep. He fits in well with every single team because of what he does well i mean he's just a pure stroker um with big size you can play him at the four the three um he fits in any scheme like whenever pat riley is going after a guy hard you know he's probably a good guy and pat riley really wanted um danilo gallinari up to the trade deadline until he couldn't make the deal work yeah so i mean the heat have like they're in a similar situation to the raptors in that Yes, they want to compete next year, but at the same time, they believe they have a real shot at a big free agent come 2021 offseason. The same free agent. Yeah, Giannis. <laughs> I honestly, I honestly would be very surprised if Giannis did not end up with either the Heat or the Raptors. He's not staying with the Bucks. No, I don't think he is either, unless they win a championship. I also There's... saw his name with Golden State. I swear to God, that happens. I'll never watch basketball That's again. That's not happening. That's not happening. It's not going to happen for two reasons. One would be like the biggest bitch move since Kevin Durant did it, and I don't think Giannis is a bitch. And also, they've people have learned from Durant. I didn't Durant. think Kevin Durant was, too, until he was. But it turns out that he actually had a lot of bitchly tendencies. Yeah, I know. Um, I, know. I mean, he has burner accounts, man. <laughs> like, uh, Yeah, dude, Durant's a flake, man. He's a he's a weird guy. He's basically um, a 13-year-old girl in like a 27-year-old's body. 30 now, but yes. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> but no, like with Giannis, uh, one, like I don't think he's that type of guy. Two, like people have seen what happened with Durant, and it didn't work out, and... He's kind of like a cautionary tale. Isn't that crazy? He goes there, wins two championships, two finals MVPs, and we're basically saying, yeah, that was a bad call. Yeah, but you know what he never gained? Respect. Respect. No, and I that's what he wanted. Yeah, but I knew that. Like, we all yeah. knew that before he, after he signed, we're like, this is not going to count for anything. Yeah, Legacy I know. Wise. I was like, congratulations. Like, you want to, basically for him, it's like, you want a piece of metal, we don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the the second reason is they would have to trade for him. And there's no way the Bucks are trading uh, Giannis to, to Golden State. But man, we talked about this in the last NBA pod, like if they honestly believe that he's gonna walk, could they package him for right. some picks? Andrew Wiggins. Okay, yes. If they truly believe he's gonna walk and they decide that they're gonna trade him, theoretically, you could then trade him to Golden State. Except I don't think that's gonna happen because Golden State can't offer the most for him. They're gonna hold an auction if he's up for trade at the trade deadline because it's not gonna happen before the season, obviously. At the trade deadline, if they're gonna trade him, they're gonna hold an auction basically and be like, yo. Every single team out there that has a chance, give us your best look. What is it like that you are willing to offer for us? And you are going to get some crazy-ass deals uh, that are a lot better than whatever mishmash of Andrew Wiggins plus cap space the but, Golden but State hold Warriors up, hold can up. offer. You are only putting together that crazy offer if you believe you have the slightest chance of retaining Giannis. You're not going to get or a not. playoff or, run. Or not. The Raptors traded for Kawhi Leonard, granted for one a full season, not knowing whether they would re-sign him, and it turned out they didn't. But it was a full season. Like, trade deadline has two Whatever, more months ma- of regular season, yeah, and then the but playoffs. But it doesn't matter, right? Like, at a certain point, like, if you're at the trade deadline and you're in a good position already, then it doesn't matter that if you had the guy full season, other than the fact that maybe he'd integrate into your system, you're getting that player now, and you'd have that player for the playoffs. I guarantee you, a lot of teams would jump on that, and I, I don't think there's any realistic scenario, I think, where Golden State 
gets Giannis. That's like something I truly believe. I know, but I was thinking the exact same thing before Durant went there. That was completely different in the sense they had the cap space. And that was actually kind of something that could happen. The only thing that you were worried about is whether he would do the bitch move. Andrew Wiggins is a big contract. Golden State can make the cap space work. Um, well, not, yes, it's, not, it's not, at the trade, not at the trade deadline because they lose their, they have a part of the Wiggins appeal for trading him for a star is that the uh, Golden State Warriors have a $17.5 million trade exception from on the Andre Iguodala trade to the Memphis Grizzlies. But that expires prior to the start of the season. So if they make a big trade, they have to make it before the start of the season. If not, then they have to match the salaries of Giannis, which would require someone like a Draymond Green um, or like someone more than they would be. Yeah, they would, dude, they would move Draymond Green. Yeah, but again, I don't think, I wouldn't want Draymond Green back. If I were the Bucks, the Bucks wouldn't take that. Draymond Green is not. Well, it'd be a package deal. Yeah, I, I, I just I don't think they can offer a good deal for Giannis for what it would take to get Giannis. I guarantee you, there's tons of teams that would offer more. I love how this tons started as a Danilo Gallinari. Yeah, let's take. get back to Danilo Gallinari. So I think OKC has two options: they either bring everybody back and run it back with the same overachieving team, or what's going to happen is they're going to break these guys up, rebuild, move Chris Paul somewhere, and move and let Danilo go free. Danilo is definitely going to leave. The only question is whether they um, do a sign and trade because the teams that he may want to play for, like he's been rumored with the Lakers. I think the Clippers would also just as equally be rumored for him. The Heat, all those teams do not have the cast base to sign him to uh, <clears throat> to whatever deal he'd want. And in fact, they don't even really have they don't have the type of mechanism to do the proper mid level exception for him. There's three different types of mid level exceptions. Um, one of which is the um, normal mid-level exception, where you have to be over the over the salary cap but below the luxury tax. That's the big issue, the luxury tax. All these teams are like at the luxury tax. If you sign Daniel Gallinari to the mid-level exception, the full mid-level exception, which is about $10.5 million, which is already below his market value, but say you wanted to do that, then you can't pass the luxury tax that season. It's not allowed, um, which is a weird So what kind do you think happens to him? Where does he go? I think he goes to the Hawks. Well, that's boring. I think he goes to a team that has a lot of cap space. I think the the Hawks are looking to make some moves, looking to continue on this trend that they're going. Danilo and on the Hawks is perfect for them. Yeah, but yeah, but he does not make them a playoff team. No, but it's a step in the right direction. Look, they're not going to be a playoff team until they like really learn how to defend, and that's like a team concept itself. Like everyone on that team should learn how to defend better because they're young. But I think Danilo continues to open things up, and they already have some great three-point shooters. Why not try to get some more, you know? Could be. Um, I think they'll use their cap space, though. Point is, they have up to $49 million in cap space. I think they'll use it, because they're not going to be in the honest sweepstakes, likely. Um, and they can really get some of these guys. Yeah. So, real quick, on the Miami Heat, since they're in a similar position to the Raptors, they were not expecting Gordon Dragos to have the year he had, Okay. So he's going to command a lot of money, but they're going to be capped again on what they can really offer him if they want to keep that max slot open next offseason. And also, if they want to push Bam's contract and re-sign him to multi-year after this one. He's only got one year, five million left. It's going to be tight for them, man. Some guys are going to have to take some pay cuts. The same thing that hap- that's going to happen to Bam is going to happen with OG and Anobi in the sense that like they're going to have their cap hold. Um, they're going to become a restricted free agent, and they're not going to get their contract extension until after that offseason where they, uh, the Heater Raptors try to sign the guys that they want to sign. The same thing happened with Kawhi Leonard um, when the Spurs wanted to sign LaMarcus Aldridge. They told Kawhi, 
we'll take care of you, we'll max you out, but we have to wait because when you're on your rookie scale contract, your cap hold is very low, so it allows you to have manufactured the space that you need. Now that pissed off Kawhi royally, and it turned out to backfire big time. Um, so that's the kind of the game you play, but that's what the Raptors and the Heat are going to do. Like, when were you left? Do they want to re-sign him today? They're not, they're going, not going to. to right? They're not going to, yeah. But they can max him out after. It's a timing thing, right? They can max, him, they can max out Bam right, right they, after they sign Right, but they can't max out Bam, sign Giannis, and give Goran a $22-plus million contract. First of all, Goran is not commanding $22 million, but you are correct in that, um, which is why I think... I think Goran can sign a one-year deal, too. I think this is the same thing with... He's um, not going to want to do that. Coming off the year he just had, he's going to want multi-year, multi-dollar. Depends what the market is, right? I mean, does he want to go to the Knicks? The Knicks could be an option for him, frankly. Like, he could go to the Knicks. It would make sense. Live out the rest of his uh, good playing years. Get that multi-year deal that he wants. He could. He could go back to the Heat. The Heat could kind of play a little hardball with him, but say, look, we're going to pay you high salary, but only one year. Because yeah. you, everyone knows what they're trying to do. Maybe Goran takes that. He has options, but that's the thing about this free agency. There's a lot of guys that are kind of like, eh, I don't know. Like it could go either way because the teams that have cash space are not competitive, and the teams that don't are the ones that you want to be on. You want to just realize? I don't think we talked about the most interesting free agent decision that looms this off season. Which is what? Gordon Hayward has a player option for thirty-four million dollars, and we don't know for sure he's going to take it. I don't even think that that's an interesting thing because one, he's either one going to take it, which I think is almost certainly going to happen, or two, he's going to not take it because he's already got a deal in place with Boston to like sign up for multi years at a lower number. Yeah, no, I just think it's an interesting decision for him to make. Like, do you take the thirty four now yes. or the twenty million over the next three years that they're probably going to offer him? I think you just take the thirty four now and then because I think that t- whatever that twenty million dollar contract. But man, if you're as fragile as Gordon Hayward, are you willing to leave another thirty million on the table and not? sign an extension dude he's making 34 million dollars next year he'll be fine if he takes that and goes back into the assuming he doesn't break his spine yeah but he hasn't broken his spine yet he's, he's broken only been, everything else <laughs> he's broken his ankles um he's had bad luck but no this offseason everyone who's got a high priced uh player option is for sure gonna take it I'm talking like DeMar DeRozan's. I'm talking about like Gordon Hayward, obviously. Mike Conley's going to take his. Yeah, they're going to take it, but they may not stay. Like DeMar might take the player option and then get moved. Well, yeah, that's for sure something that could happen. But yeah, with Gordon, I think he definitely takes it. His value is about as low as you'd think it could reasonably go. He knows his talent. He's probably thinking, I can have a good year with the Celtics and get another good deal after this season. I mean, there's more risk, obviously, because you don't have long-term security. I mean, he's making a lot of money anyway. It doesn't really matter. But yeah, I think uh, okay. he will be just fine. I think he takes it almost assuredly. Other uh, kind of smaller free agents, I'll ramble them off quick here. Dwight, Rondo, Drummond's got a player option. Joe Harris. Drummond's already Tristan said that Thompson. he's going to take it. Another guy who's going to take his player option. Yeah. Um, don't turn down player options this offseason. That's like unless you're already at a very low number to begin with. Yeah, guys, like I'm kind of interested in. <laughs> I want to see where Davis Bertans goes. He's like low-key one of my favorite players in the league. Um, just cause he's a big guy who just launches threes and makes them so, so much. Um, one of the best three point shooters in the league, um, likely going back to the wizards, but I can see him, uh, going other places. I can actually see him going to the heat potentially Marcus Morris. Could he go back to the Knicks or is he just re-signed with the Clippers? I don't know. Um, everything with the Clippers is up in the air. I have yeah. really no idea what's going to happen with them. Paul Millsap is an interesting one. He's a guy who could take the mid-level exception and go to like a good team. Yeah, he could. Chase that ring. I could see him being on the Lakers, for you example. You don't think he stays? You don't think he stays put? Well, 
eh, he could stay put. I don't know. It's, it's an option, but I could also see him taking lower number, go to like a really good team. But he's um, on a good team. He is, but I just uh, I think uh, I think his time is kind of coming on with the Nuggets. Maybe. Um, which brings me now to where teams are really going to make impacts this offseason because of the the state of the league right now, and that is trades. So, Andrew, I've asked you to come up with some fake trades. I've come up with a bunch of fake trades. Uh, I thought it'd be a fun exercise just to go over them, see what you think. Yeah, you're very giddy about your fake trades, so I'm going to let you I went ham on the fake trades. Yeah, I'll tell you if I think they're feasible or not. Okay, okay, we'll go with my fake trades. So, speaking of the Nuggets... I got some Nuggets fake trades. They have a really interesting package to offer for one star, and that involves Will Barton, Gary Harris, Bull Bull, and Houston's 2020 first rounder, which they have, which is number 22 this year. So that is like a package that they can offer. And it's enough money because Will Barton and Gary Harris make about 14 to $50 million each to get some big stars. So one option is... Hold up, hold up. Before you even tell me who's coming back in this trade, I already like it. Because the package you just told me, like, I would send these guys off no problem. Yeah, it's, well, it's the exact example of sending out some quarters to, like, get your dollar. And the Nuggets are at a point in their um, trajectory where they have the two stars. They know what their team is, and they have a very interesting guy, Michael Porter, who they don't want to give up. So... The rest of it is all filler that you yo get rid of it to have someone who can really fit. All right, give me a big name. Five. Who you got coming back? Okay, so <laughs> the one is Denver receives Chris Paul. Okay. Yeah. Now that is an option, but that's actually not my favorite um, option for them. The second one that I like better is they send those guys to the Pelicans and they receive Drew Holiday. Dude, the Pelicans are not doing that. You don't think they would do that? Have you seen the Pelicans' young core right now? They're not breaking up that train. No. Well, wouldn't no no. It's a it's a it's a depth deal. So if you're the Pelic if you're the Pelicans, you would say no to Will Barton, Gary Harris, Bull Bull, and Houston's first for my starting point guard, my All Star starting point guard. Yeah, I'm not giving away a dollar for one time All Star. He hasn't made the all he hasn't made the All Star team this year. But like he's an All Star. Like he's yeah, fair he, enough. He's well. No, I'm not fine, denied. Denied. Okay, fine. Hit me with another one. Well, those are my two for the Nuggets. I mean, forget the Nuggets. Not happening. You don't like the Chris Paul one? No, because I want to see Chris Paul go to the Lakers. That's not happening. The oh, Lake, well. As, the Lakers? As you mentioned, let me put in one of my fake trades here. Three-team trade. Ready for this? Lakers acquire CP3 and Terrence Ferguson. Hawks acquire KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope from the Lakers. And OKC gets their 2022 first-round pick back. They get Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma, Quinn Cook, and LA's 2027 first-round pick. Ooh, that's a good one. I don't like it. It works. Like, sure, technically it works, but I don't really... You don't like it for who? I like it for all the parties. I think OKC says no, because it defeats the purpose of one of the things they want to do. They want to get rid of their money. Um, they want to rebuild. They're getting expiring yeah, contracts. Yeah, I wouldn't want... I don't think they want Danny Green. I don't think they want Quinn Cook. Expiring. I don't think it... Expiring. Move him. Quinn Cook makes no money. Get I rid of him. I think they can get a better deal. You think so? Eh, Chris Paul so. is owed $40 million. Yeah, but he was good. Eh, maybe. Wait, who... What was going to the Hawks? The Hawks were getting... KCP. KCP. Who's going to be probably making and like who are they trading? Million. Who are they trading KCP for? Terrence Ferguson. And that's it? They're just giving it to him? Yep. Yeah, maybe. I'm it's telling weird, you, man. I it's think a it weird works. one. Yeah. It's a weird one. I don't know. I think personally, I would like to see Chris Paul on the Laker team. That'd be a fun team yeah, to watch. Yeah, I would like that. Um, okay, well, since we're talking about Chris Paul, I'll go to my next one then. This involves Chris Paul. This is how to fix the Knicks. 
Potentially. <laughs> Nobody else is. Phil Jackson couldn't fix the Knicks, but right. you have a trade that's going to fix the Knicks. It's a two-part trade. There's two trades involved. It's basically getting like high-priced stars to potentially make a uh, contending team. So, the first one. OKC receives Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith Jr., Julius Randle, and Dallas's 2021 first-rounder. The Knicks receive Chris Paul. Then, the Knicks would turn around and give the Cavs Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis, and the Clippers' 2020 first-round pick, which is 27th, for Kevin Love. I, I hope that people listening were able to follow that trade because I was not. Who's ending up who? Where? <laughs> what? Basically. Where's Kevin Love going? Kevin Love is going to the Knicks. Kevin Love's going Basically, to the Knicks. Basically, there's two trades that would get the Knicks, Chris Paul and Kevin Love, and they would give up in all of them a combined of a combination of Kem Knox, Dennis Smith Jr., Julius Randle, Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis, and two first-rounders. Yeah, man. I mean, those two first-rounders are big picks because no. the Knicks suck. No, they're not the Knicks picks. Oh, they're not the Knicks picks. No. It's oh. the, the, the Knicks have the Clippers 2020 pick. Oh, I see. Okay. And um, and they also have Dallas's 2021. First I mean, listen, record. I like the trade for the Knicks. You end up with Chris Paul and Kevin Love, and then put that around R.J. Barrett. They got their eighth overall pick this year. Um, Julius Randle's got to be the Toppin. best NBA player who gets shopped around the most because he's not that good. <laughs> I like him. I don't know. I think he's valuable. He's empty. Stats. Big body who can run the floor. He's an empty calories guy. So is Kevin Love. Kevin Love won the championship. Made a great defensive player at the end. Kevin Love is less empty stats than Julius Randle. Okay, well, I hope the Knicks... I think that's work. a good trade. Yeah, I don't hate it. Uh, the one thing about uh, like why Chris Paul is linked to the Knicks is because of Leon Rose, who I'm pretty sure used to be his agent. Um, used to be? Like he canned him? No, well, now he's the president of uh, oh, the Oh, he's Knicks. no longer working as an agent. Yeah, and right. there's a connection between Leon Rose and um, Chris Paul. I mean, I think Chris would play for the Knicks if they could put, if he was assured that they could put a good team together. Like, if they already had the Kevin Love deal, and then they have RJ Barrett, they have um, they have the eighth pick, and plus they have... Um, Cast base. Like, they'd be able to overpay him for the tail end of his career, and they would do it, because they've been irrelevant for so long. I don't think they offer him another big deal. I think they just like... Oh, I bet you they offer him more money than anybody else would. At the end of his deal, maybe. Maybe he re-signs. Depends on how well he plays. But point is, I think that's the type of team that he would be fine to go to, play in New York, if he was assured, if I mean, he thought they could be competitive. it's kind of similar to the OKC team, right? Low expectations, young core, and then he shows up there, runs it. It's not It's not low expectations if you trade for Kevin Love and Chris Paul and then you put those guys in New York. It's not low expectations. Dude, Kevin, no. Kevin Love in, is no better than Danilo Gallinari. It's the exact same situation. I don't disagree with you. Big name, though. I'm just saying, like, when it's New York... There's high expectations. That's all still, I'm saying. Still, though, they've been garbage forever. And hey. they still have high expectations? Yeah, and then they get a little spark of hope, and it's like, boom, it's back. Like, they still revere the 2013 team with Lynn Sanity and Carmelo Anthony and, like, J.R. Smith and stuff. Speaking of Carmelo Anthony, why don't you add Carmelo to that team with Chris Paul and Kevin Love? I could see him going there. Like, yeah, signing as, like, a... That would make a ton of sense. Yeah, I think he'd love to play for the Knicks again I, on a I'm going to be honest, team. I don't think that team would be very good, but I'd still love to see it. It would be great theater. I don't know if it'd be that good either. I think no. Chris Paul's still very, very good, though. Yeah, Chris Paul's um, good. And, and Kevin Love has his moments, but Carmelo Anthony... And man, it would like, help R.J. Barrett a lot, just having someone who could handle and actually give him the ball and yeah. maybe accentuate some of the things he does well, like slashing. Um, See, now that's that's a good move for the Knicks to make, which means it's probably not going to happen because the Knicks don't make good moves for the Knicks. <laughs> the Knicks make good moves for other franchises. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. 
This one's kind of a doozy. Utah receives Andrew Wiggins, Eric Pascal, and the number two overall pick to give Golden State Rudy Gobert. Who says no? Who says no? I mean, Gobert's on his way out, so I could see them taking that. I don't know if Golden State wants to build around a big man. Like, do you really want to put a big man? I mean, I don't know. It kind of makes sense. You got some shooters, get some boards, get someone to help you on D on the other end. Now, you had a great takeoff pod about Rudy Gobert. Do you want to share it with the the fans? Yeah, I mean, it's a simple take, but I just said Rudy Gobert is basically just Ben Wallace. Yeah, he's like modern-day Ben Wallace. Yeah. The French Ben Wallace. Yeah. Um, Rudy Gobert is an amazing defender. Very poor on offense. He's a fine rim runner. But sometimes he can be played off the court. So you can almost say that he's actually like a superstar role player. Wasn't JaVel on Golden State for a bit? Yeah, he was. So I'm guessing Gobert would basically just be JaVel, but like a better version. But a much better version of JaVale. Yeah. But the point is like, he can start with them and he can finish some games with them, matchup depending. I mean, if you're playing the Lakers, for example, big team with guys who like to attack the rim, Gobert would look mighty fine defending that rim there. And... Like, Andrew Wiggins, no one cares about giving him away. He's more salary fodder than anything. Eric Pascal, like, whatever. The number two overall pick. That's where, like, some people might think, like, ooh, I don't know. Like, the number two overall, right? This is not a normal draft, and we'll get into that. But this is not a normal draft. This is a weak draft. And you're not getting anywhere close to the type of player at number two this year that um, uh, Rudy Gobert is, especially at center. James Wiseman is not Rudy Gobert, and he's certainly not going to be Rudy Gobert in his rookie year. See, I like that move. The only thing I would say is that I think that Golden State probably has bigger aspirations for the Wiggins and those picks than Rudy Gobert. I could be wrong. It, it could happen. If everything else falls through, I mean... Sure, I I'm sure Gobert they have lots of lines in the water, yeah. so yeah. to speak. I think that's a deal that makes sense for both sides. You have, on Utah's sense, like, add Andrew Wiggins, you know, maybe you can make something of him. Like, now you're truly building around Donovan Mitchell number two overall pick you can take a young another young kid that looks like another promising guy and basically build around him and donovan mitchell and like anything you get from wiggins is like a bonus but um it also moves the fact that like rudy gobert's got obviously that really interesting supermax option which he won't get offered and he's probably gonna pissed off he also gave everybody coronavirus yes he was patient zero next trade yeah got a couple more one with the 76ers non-involving james harden <laughs> um, this is maybe slightly more realistic 76ers receive Buddy Heald and Jabari Parker and send over Al Horford, Josh Richardson, Atlanta's 2020 second rounder, so 34th overall, New York's second rounder, 36th overall, and a 2022 first rounder unprotected to the the Kings receive that. I mean, do the Kings receive Al Horford in a massive contract for a guy who can't play basketball anymore? And and a bunch of random late round picks. They are getting... What they are getting is, so, thinking behind this, the reasoning. One, Buddy Hield is very unhappy in the Kings, more so than most Kings players are unhappy there. Right. And he has made it clear that he wants out. And it seems the scuttlebutt is that the Kings are willing to acquiesce to that since they want, they like Bogdan Bogdanovich. So they'll give Buddy Hield up, apparently. Al Horford's contract matches. Al Horford is a bad contract. No one likes him, although he used to be good. That's why you toss in the first rounder with him. But it's a late first rounder. The 2022 first rounder, unprotected, that is also the year of the double draft. That is the year where high school players are allowed to be drafted again. So you're going to get the first time ever high school players, top high school players, and top uh, college players melding at the same time, like when the rules just start. So that is teams, uh, for those listening, 
teams have been um, hoarding 2022 picks. They don't want to give up their 2022 picks. They'll give up any other picks other than 2022. And that's because it's assumed that that draft, which they call the double draft, is going to have an inordinate amount of like very good talent. See, that is that is some incredible research. Well done. However, do you think that the Kings have thought that through? I think they know that as much. to take advantage of the double draft. They're, will they take advantage of the double draft? No. Will they be enticed about the possibility that maybe they can take advantage of the double draft? Maybe. I think right. so. Yeah. Um, Not a bad trade. I, I mean, it sounds like it's good for everybody, but the Kings <laughs> will probably blow it and mess it up. Uh, for the 76ers, I think it makes a lot of sense. And then finally, I guess um, we'll be leaving on like a low note, I suppose. I, I have some very interesting trades for Aaron Gordon. <laughs> okay, run through them quick. Okay. One is a Chicago Bulls trade involving, so the Bulls receive Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier, and the Magic receive Zach Levine and Laurie Markkinen. What did this trade do, though? It rejigs yes, both teams. It, 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 I it think, does. So this is under my assumption. The Bulls have the number, one, number four pick in this year's draft. They have Cody White, who they drafted seven last year. Looks like a good guard. I would not be surprised if the Bulls end up with LaMelo Ball. I don't think LaMelo Ball is going to be taken in the top three, actually. Oh, you think he slips? I think he slips. But I don't think he gets past the Bulls. Okay. The Bulls take LaMelo Ball. You don't want to add Kobe White, who's a shoot-first point guard, with Zach Levine, who's a shoot-first shooting guard, <laughs> with uh, LaMelo Ball, who is a playmaking point guard, but a flashy, poor decision-making point guard. I think Kobe White with LaMelo is a good combination, like, promising. I think you get rid of Zach Levine, put Aaron Gordon in there, kind of like, fits better and then on the uh magic side well like they already have a ton of big guys aaron gordon has not worked there maybe at, they need a little scoring at a flashy guy like zach levine i think it could work sure i, don't and, I got one more that you failed to mention can i say my second aaron gordon trade and then you can just finish off on that since okay. i already all right fine you teed it up give it a give sons it a shot. receive aaron gordon magic receive kelly Oubre and a 2023 first rounder you wanted to end on these i would write them down those trades do you like that trade or no? It's fine. I'm not excited about either of those franchises, well, though. Aaron Gordon is not a very exciting player, ultimately, even though he's a big name for NBA fans. Yeah, that, I mean, he's done contest guy. Yeah. I want to end on this one. Caruso, Kuzma, going to Detroit, sending back Derrick Rose. That makes so much sense. I love it. I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think Chris Paul is going to go to the Lakers. I think Derrick Rose is going to go to the Lakers. I think the Lakers will try to land Chris Paul. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> I, I think mean, Derrick Rose is low-hanging fruit. I think that trade is going to be available to them whenever they want it. Yeah. Um, I think that that trade makes a ton of sense. I've been advocating. I I think on like three of our other pods, I mentioned probably. I want the Derrick Rose trade. But that's um, it. we got no more trades, and yeah. none of these are probably going to happen. Yeah, none of them are going to happen. Maybe mixes of some of these things can happen. Yeah, I'm sure some combination of the players that we mentioned are going to end up moving teams. Yeah, we ha- we mentioned like half the players in the league. So right. Some of them right. I like our odds. <laughs> We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Inquisitive Bro Podcast. We know you listen to us, but more importantly, we want to hear from you. Did you disagree with one of our takes? Did you catch a mistake that we made? Do you have your own take about something we discussed that maybe we didn't consider or failed to mention? If that's the case, we want to hear from you. Hit us up on Instagram at the Inquisitive Bro. Or if you want to just reach out and say what up, that's cool too. If you make a good point, bring us an interesting take of your own or you get us talking about something cool you brought to the table, you just may hear us giving you a shout out and discussing your take on our next podcast. 
All right, well, we're not done yet. As always, thanks for listening. Now, back to the pod. Okay, so let's switch over then to the NBA draft, which is, as we mentioned, uh, going to take place on November 18th. Uh, Andrew, I'll toss it over to you then. Uh, What are your thoughts on the draft, some of the interesting prospects that you have? So I wish I had more things to say on the draft, but here's the the case. Um, There was no March Madness this year because of COVID. So I didn't get a chance to normally watch these guys the same way I would. So truthfully, I don't really know most of these guys. How do you like that for analysis? Yeah, honestly, I mean, it's not that bad an analysis because truthfully, this draft is nothing to write home about. It reminds me a lot of uh, the 2013 draft. I believe that was the one where Anthony Bennett was drafted, where there was no surefire top pick. It was a lot of a mishmash of guys in the lottery really didn't know who was going to go where. And um, it's the same thing in this year's draft. And the reason is when you talk about a weak draft, it's mostly referring to weak freshmen, the 19-year-olds coming into the draft, not as well-polished as um, a usual draft would be. There are no can't-miss prospects here. There are no elite guys. Most of the guys who are going to be drafted in the top five would not scratch the top five in drafts to come and it's just because this is a weak draft now some guys to look out for anthony edwards kind of seen as like a victor oladipo Dwayne wade type of guy he's a body who can't shoot so what do you nice. think about that sounds awesome <laughs> um you got Lamelo ball which we'll get into kind of very a similar complete clown yeah he's um whereas lonzo is actually very quiet and reserved you kind of forget about that because his dad, especially early on, because his dad is such a loudmouth, LaMelo is his dad. LaMelo yeah. takes after his dad, not lacking in confidence, has a wonky shooting stroke. Who would have thought of that? Right. <laughs> but apparently is also seen as having the highest potential in the draft, according to a lot of different people. I'm sure um, he's incredibly talented, but do you know who else was incredibly talented that he kind of reminds me of? Nick Young. Yeah. Totally talented, complete goofball. Yeah, I, I mean, kind of different players, but I see exactly where you're going with that, and I don't disagree with you. That's pretty apt description. This whole draft um, is going to be about where he lands, Lamelo. Yeah, I don't think he, like I said earlier, I don't think he gets past four. I don't think he gets past Chicago. But some guys to look out for, some interesting guys. There's Killian Hayes, the left-handed Frenchman. Um, he is Kevin O'Connor's top prospect on his draft board. Look out for him. He's probably going to be an early, uh, he's going to be in the top 10. My favorite draft pick though, potential draft pick is a Serbian guy by the name of Alexei Pukusevsky. He is seven foot tall with a seven foot three wingspan and a staggering 201 pounds. Andrew, I'm heavier than this guy. That is not going to work. What if I told you that he has guard like skills and they think that he could develop a shooting stroke. Well, I'm assuming he doesn't have big postman skills because he weighs 200 pounds. <laughs> Dude, that's not... I like, looked at his highlight reel, and I shit you not, they actually found, like, the first clip they showed him was actually him kind of, like, backing down a guy, which is shocking. Like, when you look at pictures of him, he's a literal stick man. Um, he's got no meat on his bones. He's like Kevin Durant when he was drafted to the extreme, except right. not nearly as talented as Kevin Durant with, like, Durant. 45 less pounds. Yeah. Durant's seven feet tall. There's no way he's less than like 240. Now, well, now he's yeah. like no, but when he was drafted, even when he was drafted, but he was like 225. Oh, I don't know. You know, I, Kevin Durant at the combine couldn't do one rep bench on the press. bench. Long arms, long. I mean, it's, it's the harder. NBA. Everybody's got long arms. Yeah, but he's got like exceptionally long arms, and he was spindly. I bet this Alexa guy, I bet he can't do a bench press either. Yeah, I wouldn't draft him. I wouldn't either. <laughs> That's the point. But apparently, he's projected to be like 
mid lottery. That tells you what this draft like is all about. Or like a seventeenth overall ish, like a first rounder, a guy who's not even heavier than your your lovely podcast host here. Yeah, I mean this draft is weak, and so are this dude's weightlifting habits. Yeah, but yeah, this draft is weak, especially at the top. Most likely, the best player from this draft. There's a very good chance that it'll be somewhere in the mid-teens, someone yeah. you're not expecting. There's still some really good players in there, like Obi Toppin, kind of been compared to Mari Stoudemire, guy can jump out of the gym, uh, big guy, looks good. The guy out of the USC, Okonkwu, looks like he can be really solid. He kind of uh, compares to a Bam Adebayo. Did you say the guy out of the UFC? USC. Oh, USC. <laughs> that would have been a way better storyline if this guy went from MMA to NBA. No, yeah, that's not, that's not, unfortunately, that's not what happened. See, that's what this draft needs. They need a storyline like that. Well, they do have one interesting storyline, and I guess we'll get into that now. It's LaMelo Ball. He, he's going to be the talking point of this draft, and in honor of LaMelo and his, uh... Ridiculous father. Yeah, we'll go with ridiculous. We have a little game to play, and it's, what are we going to call it? Uh, things LaVar Ball has said? Uh, I think we're calling this, did he say that? Did he say that? Okay. Yeah. So a little bit about LeVar Ball. For those of you who don't know who he is, he's basically a nobody. But he's got two and a half <laughs> sons that play basketball. He's got Lonzo, who was drafted by the Lakers, traded to the Pelicans. Uh, who's Okay, he's decent. He's quiet. He can't really shoot, but it's fine. He'll be he'll be around for a few years. He's got... So it's funny. I thought the middle kid's name was LaJello. It's actually LiAngelo, which I guess is a little bit more of a real name than LaJello, but not really. <laughs> um, that's his middle son, who doesn't play professional basketball in the NBA because he's not good at basketball. That son was actually most notably known for getting arrested in China for trying to steal a purse. That's true. I would not be looking to get imprisoned in China. No, no, most people wouldn't, but yeah, they had to call POTUS. Trump had to make a call to get LiAngelo out of Chinese jail. (laughs) He was at, um, UCLA. Obviously. So the story behind that is like LaVar had planned all his brothers I mean, all his sons to play at UCLA. Lonzo started, and he was obviously very good at UCLA and drafted number two overall. Leangelo, always known not to be the basketball talent of the family, that is. He was on UCLA, and he was going to be an end-of-bench player. But he stole, he got caught stealing in China. They cut him, and because of that, LeVar threw a fit and not only pulled uh, Leangelo off UCLA but pulled his uh, youngest son, LaMelo, eventually out of high school and also decommitted him to UCLA and he never went. And instead, Leangelo, uh, LaMelo ended up playing in professional leagues all over the place, most recently Australia. Yeah, so they did a brief stint in Lithuania and then he ended up in Australia. Yeah. So we basically have no real comparison as far as what his talent stacks up against NCAA products. It's also, yeah, it's very hard, and especially because he put up big numbers in Australia, but also he was doing it in the exact manner you would expect him to do it. He was apparently a complete hot dog guy in that he'd make huge, uh, like, highlight reel plays, but also just make the dumbest passes, take, like, dumb shots. He's not a good shooter, but he has range, but he doesn't hit it consistently. Like, he can pull up from, like, 30 feet away, according to his scouting report, but, like, he'll take it four times a game yeah. and make maybe one kind of yeah, thing. He's so- mentally... There's questions. Oh, about yeah. Him. And speaking of the mental questions, the news story that's been going around about LaMelo is that he's showing very poor results in his pre-draft interviews. Apparently, that's smoke and mirrors the more I looked into it because I did text you about that. Have it you didn't seen surprise him me. do an interview? I'm not super shocked. Well, okay, fine. Maybe they saw past interviews of him. He doesn't he's strike not, me as a very word I'm looking for? brightest bright. bulb. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not. He's about he, as sharp as a spoon. 
give him a spork. It's about as sharp as a spork. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Okay, but apparently he's only like talked to two teams like officially, so it's actually very hard to say necessarily that he's been bombing his interviews when he really hasn't been speaking to too many. I mean, over two is bad, but it, nothing would be happier than hearing what Lavar has to say if he slips to like late. Oh, Lavar! Lavar is very excited to get back in the spotlight with oh, his I new son. Yeah. So let's get to the game then. How okay. are we doing this? All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some ridiculous quotes, mostly focusing on basketball and the ball family and the kids. And you're going to tell me whether I've made them up or if they were actually said by Lavar over the years. Okay. Do you understand the rules? Yeah, I got it. Okay. First one. I'll even give it the year, 2017. And I quote, I've told my kids since day one, somebody's eventually got to be better than Jordan. Why not you? Well, that was definitely LeVar. As it was. That was it a dead was. giveaway. He mentioned kid. You mentioned kids in the... No, but man, I could, be, I'm, I could be like throwing some I stuff I kind of remember him saying that though. I think he said that like on first take or some shit. Well, you're correct. He did say that. Nice. Quote one for two. one. Yeah, one for one. Um, <laughs> I mean, hold up. Before I get to the next question, that statement must have gone to LaMelo's head because the very next month, in high school, LaMelo dropped 92 points on 61 shots in a high school game. Nice. Same month, new quote. Ready for this? Yeah. Um, take Steph Curry at a 40-inch vertical, and you have Lonzo Ball. Did LeVar say that? I assume yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> that was on. <laughs> you first... gotta, you got to give me some harder ones here, man. That was on first take with Stephen A. At the same interview, he also said Lonzo would end up being better than Magic. That was the one. Yeah, he went off on that one. He goes off, like whenever he gets a camera in front of him, it's just like he feels the need to just be a totally different, outlandish, ridiculous person. This like these getting, aren't even tongue in cheek quotes. Like these are just yeah. like, rid- come on. This is getting off topic, but I, I remember an early interview with him when Lonzo was at UCLA. He mentioned the fact like they were showing the mom and everything. He was showing his family, and the mom is like herself, like a a large woman, um, quite tall. And he mentions, like, yeah, I purposely, like, picked a tall woman because I wanted my kids to be tall, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. It's just kind of hilarious. Yeah. No, I, I think I saw that today, actually. And Stephen A. was just like, well, can't argue there. Like, what are you going to say <laughs> at that point? All right, next quote. Did he say this? And I quote, back in my heyday, I would kill MJ 101. He better make every shot because he's too little and he's not fast enough to go around me. He would need some help. End quote. He said that, yeah. Yeah, he did. So knew it. I knew it. Lavar's <laughs> college stats were 2.2 points per game across 30 games. He played college? He did, yeah. Where? I don't know, but he only averaged two points a game. Okay, well, that makes more sense that his kids are like top prospects. He was a college player. I mean, he was barely a college player. Still, good yeah. start. He also played college football. Wow, okay. Also not very good at that. He was a good athlete, though, clearly. Next quote. And I quote, there's only two dudes better than me, and I'm both of them. I don't think he said that. I wish I could tell you he didn't. He did. That is a LeVar quote. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> if, it's, if it's really ridiculous, he probably did say it. I don't think I could make... I couldn't make up stuff that he's actually said. Okay, keep going. Damn it. So after that quote, the next month, LeVar ended up launching the Big Baller brand with Lonzo's signature shoe, which cost, this is multiple choice, 200 300 or 500 American dollars. Oh, it was 500 I know that. Yeah. It was like a ridiculous amount, and people bought it too. They bought it for some reason. Uh, LeVar, quote, we're not competing with Nike because we're a step above them. And apparently one step is all those shoes could handle because Lonzo would go on to wear Kobe's during the season because the big baller brand shoes fell apart by halftime. 
Yeah, and also now the Big Baller brand isn't a thing anymore. That's correct. Big Baller brand went bankrupt. Yeah. The quadruple B. <laughs> Didn't see that one. That wasn't really... You kind of said the quote yourself there. That wasn't really a question to me. No, no. I have some facts. Okay. Thrown in Sprinkled some of these in. questions. Yeah. Okay. Give me I'm a couple more. the color here. Okay, I got another one. Rookie of the year. It's already done. It's going to be Lonzo. Did he say that? I'm going to say no. Yes, he did. That's not even that ridiculous of a quote. I know. I just thought, like, I know that wasn't that ridiculous a quote. I was thinking maybe it'd be, like, uh, some prognosticator on ESPN. I think every dad would probably say his son's going to win Rookie of the Year. I just keep expecting eventually you're going to say something that wasn't him, but so far it's all his quotes. I'm keeping you guessing. That's the point of the game. So, Alonzo's Rookie Year, he averaged 10 points per game, 30% from three, 45% from the line. He got a total of zero votes for Rookie of the Year. That ended up going to Ben Simmons. Turns out he was better. Yeah, that's generally how the awards work. The better guys do get the awards. Um, in August of that year, Facebook exclusive show Ball in the Family was launched. Reality TV show featuring all the Ball brothers and the parents, which was inevitably canceled. They went so hard right at the start. They really did, man. Like, go big or go home, these guys. Like, right away. They tried to go from nobody family to Kardashian in, like, six months. Yeah, <laughs> sure pretty much it's like they had that ipo for um for in, for um reality family it was tested a little bit and they're like nah pass yeah fail okay. mostly because i mean if lonzo was good then maybe this could have been a thing i mean he's good enough dude the kardashians he's chris be, humphreys in their show and like that kardashians weren't based off basketball the ball family's leverage was based on the fact that they were good at basketball lonzo's gonna be in the league a long time but he's not a star i personally think the balls are only marginally better at basketball than the kardashian girls we should test that out. That's how they should get on a Yeah, that should have been an episode. I would have watched that. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, actually, so LeVar Le- ended up pulling his youngest out of high school so he could homeschool him. The two, the middle kid and the youngest ended up playing in Lithuania, didn't go to the NCAA, which is why we have no stats for LaMelo going into this year's NBA draft. That's not true. We have his Australian stats. Okay, sure. I could have Australian stats. What are those worth? As much as what australian stats could be worth well as much as what they uh what a particular team values they just watch them so it doesn't matter i got one more quote for you You ready yeah whose team is it man everybody knows whose team it is it's lonzo ball's team lebron's coming over here to join us we're not going over there to join him (laughs) okay lavar said that he did say that yeah do you have any quotes that we're not him say no i don't not a single one that was the joke eh? yeah you you like that yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lakers okay. would acquire LeBron and then end up shipping Lonzo and a bunch of losers out to the Pelicans. I guess we can finish off on this. It's just like, that's one thing you have to consider with LaMelo is just you have to deal with LeVar. He's kind of like America's version of the Lindrosses. Eric Lindros's parents being notorious meddlers. You're drafting two people. You get LaMelo and you get LeVar. Yeah, which means if you're a small market team, like if you're Charlotte at number three, do you really want to deal with that? You're asking if, if Michael Jordan wants to deal with that. That's true. Actually, what am I saying? Like, well, Michael Jordan wouldn't want to draft LaMelo. He, I don't think he'd want that type of guy on his team. No, he wouldn't. But like, who would? You said Chicago. But like, if I'm Chicago, like I want a real player, not like a reality TV show star. He could still be a good player. Like, there he is could also that. be a disaster. His talent level, though, like he does look like he's pretty talented and he's grown. Like he's six foot seven, man. Like he's six foot seven point guard. He's looking pretty fine. I think he'll ultimately be kind of like his brother and just be a good player for a long time. Uh, but their games are different. Lonzo's game's not really flashy. That's true. But I think 
so I think ultimately they're both like playmaking point guards, right? Um, who can shoot a little, but not consistently and not respected. We'll see. I bet Lamelo is better than Lonzo, though. I would hope so, because like Lonzo is just Lonzo. He's okay. He'll be fine. He'll yeah. be. But Lonzo is going to be in the league for like ten plus years. Probably, which but he's is like he's, a lot he's to mid-tier. say. He's like a mid-tier point guard. No, listen, that's a great accomplishment. Yeah. So good for him. That's it. I got nothing else. You got anything else? Not for basketball. Okay, it was fun. A little off-season. Lots going on. So before we finish off today, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the World Series and baseball as a whole. Um, starting with the playoffs, these playoffs were really compelling and stand in stark contrast to what was a really weird season for obvious reasons. But, I mean, this whole MLB season was really jumbled. You had the doubleheaders, I mean, with the Cardinals and Marlins uh, getting shut down because of COVID. And I think a lot of people kind of tuned out baseball, especially with the other sports going on with basketball and hockey and then football coming into play. So it wasn't really until I think the playoffs where one, people started really tuning in and two, like the baseball actually started getting good. And it was. I mean, there were really compelling series throughout the playoffs. I mean, think about it. You have the ALCS where the Rays were facing the cheating Astros, who, by the way, on the Astros note, I mean, talk about a team that was saved from just being absolutely humiliated and destroyed by the fans the entire season. We'll see what happens in 2021 in regards to that. But they were the villains, and MLB kind of needs a villain with uh, the Yankees not being as uh, disliked these days. But the Rays managed to finish them off and make the World Series. And then you go on the other side, and the NLCS in particular was a great series where the Braves, I mean, oh my God, Atlanta sports just getting destroyed recently. Um, The Braves blowing a 3-1 lead, very uh, tight Game 7 where Cody Bellinger hits that home run in the seventh inning. And then it gets to the World Series. And in baseball, it's not very common for the best team in each league to make the World Series. And it's even less common for the best team in the league to win the World Series. And that's what happened this year. The The Rays and the Dodgers were, bar none, the best teams in each league, and the Dodgers were the best team, and they won. So that's a win for baseball. It legitimizes the short season in the sense that at least a legitimate team won. I mean, when the season first started, there were uh, questions about potentially a random team. I mean, the Jays, frankly, were thrown out there as a team that could potentially uh win the world series as a hypothetical and i mean as much as i would love to see the jays win the world series they were decidedly average so it's great for the mlb that uh that the dodgers won and it's also great for the mlb that this world series was a good one it was a really compelling world series it wasn't boring it had everything that you would want from a baseball fan's perspective and frankly from a casual fan's perspective as well i mean you had Amazing offense. The Dodgers lineup is absolutely stacked um, on their part. And for the Rays part, you know, they they had some clutch hitting here and there. And then you have obviously a Randy Rosarina uh, who's just putting his team on his back and setting records that haven't been seen since like Barry Bonds's World Series runs with the, the Giants. I should say World Series run, since he did it once. You had great defensive plays. Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts uh, made some great plays for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, the entire Tampa Bay Rays team is a defensive team, starting with Kevin Kiermeyer, but also guys like Joey Wendell, uh, Adamas. You have G-Man Choi, the big Korean, uh, at first base, just doing the splits, even though he's like 260 pounds to scoop balls. It's ridiculous. You had amazing pitching. You had Walker Bueller just dealing in Game 3. Clayton Kershaw game one and game five putting together some really good starts and obviously Blake Snell in game six which I'll get to that's obviously a very divisive topic but what I think made this 
World Series that much more compelling was the storylines behind it. It had very compelling storylines because that's what that's what sports is, guys. Like sports is about the story. It's about the myth making. The games themselves are entertaining, but what keeps people coming back is the storylines of these players of these teams. And in this one, in this World Series, there were storylines galore. I mean, you had the intertwined uh, redemption stories of Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers themselves in Clayton Kershaw's part he finally gets over the hump in clutch situations gets to put an exclamation mark on what is obviously a hall of fame career he can now unquestionably claim to be the best Dodgers pitcher of all time better than Sandy Koufax who I mean himself was obviously a legendary pitcher but that's what Clayton Kershaw is Clayton Kershaw has one of the best pitching resumes ever and now he's got a ring to boot so that's great for him the Dodgers meanwhile a, a legendary team in MLB one of the one of the top markets and for a long time they've been very very good but they've never gone over the hump since 1988 and now they finally do that you had other like storylines as well I mean Mookie Betts for example the year after he's traded from the Red Sox in what is one of the worst trades in MLB history, a absolutely terrible trade, and certainly the worst trade the Red Sox have done since 1920, when they sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees for $125,000. That's how bad this trade is. Mookie Betts is the biggest star in the league. I'm not saying the best player, that's Mike Trout, but Mookie Betts does everything well, everything you'd want from a player, and also, he's got that million-dollar smile. He actually wants to be a star. Mike Trout is much more of a uh, introverted guy, and I mean that's his right. Uh, if he that that's what he wants to do, but the MLB needs to market someone. Mookie Betts is on the top team in the league, and he's a magnetic uh, personality. So that's a great storyline. And also, what I touched on, a Rosarina, you know, obviously uh, putting uh, the Rays on his back. Very interesting story, especially since he came from relative obscurity. Uh, for baseball fans. Now, moving on to the negatives of this World Series, because it wasn't perfect, and I'm not talking about uh, Justin Turner uh, testing positive for COVID and then walking onto the field after. I mean, uh, you can have your own opinions about that. I get why he did it in the sense that, I mean, he was the longest tenured Dodger and you want to celebrate, but I'll leave that be. This World Series was one of the most overmanaged World Series I've seen in recent times. And frankly, as time has gone on, World Series become more and more overmanaged as advanced statistics become more and more prevalent within the uh, managerial decision-making. And this came to a head very poignantly in Game 6 of the World Series, where Blake Snell was absolutely dealing. He was unquestionably having the game of his life. He struck out 9 of the 17 batters he faced. And the sad part of it all was how predictable this all was. By the third inning, I mean, I was watching the game with my dad and I told him point blank, I said, the second this guy makes a mistake, he's getting out. And that's because managers, with the statistics that are available today, they are always looking for a reason to take a guy out versus a reason to keep him in. And it was almost comical how quickly that backfired. I feel bad for uh, the pitcher Anderson who came in and immediately gave up um, a double to Mookie Betts and then the rest is history, but... This is a prime example of where following advanced statistics religiously can lead you astray. And this is kind of a mini uh, rant that I have uh, for you guys, because those who have listened to this podcast know that I am a big proponent of advanced statistics. I think they're great. I think they really help enlighten what's happening in a game and who's effective and why. But I think there's a, a certain limit 
to how much you can use statistics versus just watching the game itself. Now, baseball in particular is the most statistically intense sport, and that's for two reasons. One, while baseball is a team sport, it's actually just a combination of one-on-one matchups that culminate into a team effort. It's just a pitcher facing a batter. It's not a bunch of mishmash of guys like in hockey, for example, where there's a lot of random things, and it's hard to isolate what a single person is doing versus his teammates or the, the line as a whole. That's not there in baseball. It's just one guy facing another guy. So we can very precisely measure how effective a certain player is, specifically pitchers and batters. Defensive uh, statistics are a little bit more um, hit or miss. But still, the point being that you can very clearly see who's good and who's not good. Second, baseball is a large sample size sport. They play 162 games in a normal season. Most starters have over 500 at-bats. So the stats that are generated from those players are very statistically significant. So all that is to say that, yes, in baseball, we know very succinctly that when a pitcher faces a batting order for a third time, that the OPS just spikes. Batters having seen a pitcher uh, that many times during a game and also the fact that the pitcher is most likely more tired, they are going to hit better on the aggregate. And that's the thing with statistics. They are made in the aggregate. They are made over large sample sizes. They are useful for what is normally going to happen. But there are also outliers. This brings me to Blake Snell in Game 6. Blake Snell is not an average pitcher. He is far from it. He has won a Cy Young Award. And not only that, in Game 6 specifically, he was dealing. He was hot. He was in the zone. So managing to just the numbers takes away from the human aspect of the game, which I think is very important. These are humans playing. It's not a spreadsheet. In the playoffs, in the World Series, in pressure moments, some guys come through. That's why we celebrate those people. Some guys come through, some guys do not. There is tension. There is pressure. Sometimes people choke. Things that you never think can happen can happen. Just look at Game 4. The ending to that, a Little League play, ended a World Series game. And yet, here we have the manager managing to only the statistics. And I think that's inherently wrong. I think it ignores the human nature. It blinds people to what is actually happening in that specific game. And also, most importantly, it takes away from potentially legendary moments. I mean, this was the World Series. This was Game 6. Blake Snell, he's going to go down as a very good pitcher if he stays healthy. And he was having the game of his life. And I feel very bad for him that he was taken out in a moment where he could have gone longer. I think seven innings maybe, certainly six. He had already struck out Mookie Betts twice. He had struck out the top of the order a bunch of times. And you put in a guy that, I mean, had given up a run in six straight innings. So I just think that playing by the numbers takes away from the human element of sports. It makes you blind to what is actually happening in the moment, in the specific game. And because of that, Tampa got burned by it. Anyway, that's that's the end of my rant. Thanks for listening to the Inquisitor Bro podcast, and see you guys soon.